Great. Last time we had a look at Elisha and Naaman the Syrian. He wasn't even an Israelite. This guy who wasn't even one of God's chosen people. In fact, probably because he wasn't. He had leprosy, an incurable disease at the time. He was at the top of his game, and yet there was nothing in his life that was actually going to work because of this brutality of a disease that would eventually maim him and take him down to death. And I equated this leprosy with our sin condition, that which we are all born into, and that apart from which uh, the solution which Jesus has given to us, we have no hope. Just like Naaman had no hope, if he didn't go and dip himself seven times in the Jordan, uh, in the river like he was told to do, he would not have been cured. And likewise, unless we do what God has told us to do, and that is quite simply to repent. Not to try and live with our sin, but to repent of it, to turn away from it, to turn to him and away from what we did. And when we do that, we too are cured. I want to have a look at one more of Elisha's miracles. Uh, a reminder that Elisha had double the number of miracles that Elijah had. Very interesting. If you go and count Elijah's miracles and you count Elisha's miracles, you will find Elisha had double the miracles of Elijah. And had Elisha not asked for a double portion of Elijah's anointing. And that's exactly what we see happening in the scriptures. Miracles, just to remind you, are supernatural signs of God's power over all things. Uh, he is able to do the impossible. And just for an example, before we get to our story today, I did ask you to read it, but 2 Kings chapter 6, <clears throat> he has another miracle, one of Elisha's miracles. And I'm reading 2 Kings chapter 6 from verse 1. The company of the prophet said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place for there for us to live. And he said, go. Then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied, a man of many words. <laughs> go, I will. And he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. Just imagine his terror now because he's lost this axe head. The man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick, threw it there, and made the iron float. Impossible? Absolutely. 100% impossible. Where have you ever seen iron float from the bottom of the pond or the river to the top. Verse 7, lifted out, he said, then the man reached out his hand and took it. So here we see a, a clear demonstration of God's power over all things. I remind you, a miracle is inexplicable. It defies the laws of nature. It's a sign of God's power. And you know what the good news is? God still does miracles today. <laughs> so that's what today is all about. Having a look at that miracle, not, not primarily, we're going to look at another miracle now, but just to encourage you that whatever it is that you're facing today, whatever situation you're in, 
whatever problem you might have that seems insurmountable, we still have a God who operates in miracles. Amen. <laughs> anyway, to our story today. We find the king of Syria being greatly troubled. It's about 840 years before Christ. The king of Syria was at war with Israel. And though the Lord had given Syria success in the past against Israel because of their own disobedience, they were currently powerless to do anything. Every time the king of Syria made a move, it just seemed like the king of Israel knew exactly where he was and what he was doing and what he was going to do. Let's read the story now in 2 Kings. We pick it up from verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. Just imagine the king of Aram's frustration. Bible says this enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? I mean, he had a spy in the camp. Somebody was giving up all his secrets. Verse 12, none of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. Now, let's just pause for a little bit. They're going to capture one guy. They're going just to capture Elisha. <laughs> Elisha hasn't got an army around him. He is not surrounded by bodyguards. They're going to capture one guy, Elisha. And the Bible says he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They surrounded the city. They went by night, surrounded the city. Verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Oh, Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me. I will lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered them. Would you kill men you have captured with your own sword or bow? 
set food and water before them so they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them on their way and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. (laughs) What a miracle. Lord, as we look at your word today, I pray that you'd give us wisdom and understanding. Help us to see and to hear with our hearts, I pray, in Jesus' name. Lots and lots of incredible stories that we could talk about out of this one story. But I've got, as usual, just a few lessons for us to learn. Lesson number one, God is the all-sufficient one. God is the all-sufficient one. For me, the greatness of God, his knowledge, his power, and his sovereignty dominate the story. That's what the story for me is all about. It's interesting that of all the major characters, no one except Elisha is actually even mentioned by name. Talks about the king of Aram, the king of Israel, and even Elisha gets spoken about the, 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 uh, um, the servant of God or the man of God. Uh, the rest of the time he's mentioned Elisha, but three times he's called the man of God. So for me, straight away, as I start the story, I see the story's all about God. They're not even naming people. It's pointing us to this all-sufficient, all-powerful, wonderful God. See, we discover in the story that God is omniscient. It's just a clever word meaning God is all-knowing. He's all-wise. He knows everything. There's nothing that can be hidden from him. He possesses all wisdom. He knew what the Aramean king was planning in the quiet of his bedroom. In his thoughts, he knew what the king was planning. He told Elisha. Elisha told his king what that guy was planning. There was no need for technology to bug his bedroom. There was no need for any secret COVID agents. Why? Because Elisha was talking to a God who knew all things. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 tells us, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. If that doesn't make you shiver in your shoes, then you're a much better person than I. Nothing is hidden from Almighty God. And to him, everything will be laid bare and we must give an account. The Aramean king stupidly thought that he could send troops, a strong force, and take Elisha captive, not just a few, a strong force, and the entire city was surrounded, but God knew that too. What followed were lessons for both Elisha's servant and the king of Aram. God knows everything. We're foolish to think we can hide anything from him. He knows our secret thoughts. He knows our words, our deeds. He is the all-knowing, all-wise one. He's also omnipotent, all-powerful. He not only knows what's going on and how to solve our problems, he's also got unlimited power in dealing with the biggest problems we can conceive of. 
the show of force to capture Elisha was absolutely impotent against God. What's your problem today? How big is your problem today? Do you just pray big problems before God? Do you only pray small problems because you worry that God can't deal with the big problems? Let me tell you about a big problem I've got. Opened up my email on Friday evening to a 43,000 rand water bill. Last year in November, we had a 30,000 rand one, which we had to pay because uh, I've got four tenants in that property and the electricity was blocked. We contacted every person we knew. We used every email address. We saw every person we could, and that has still not been resolved. And then I opened a 43,000 rand bill. Well, it was enough to ruin my weekend. I came home early, checked the meter, wrong meter, wrong number, wrong reading on the meter, got nothing to do with what they've sent me, et cetera, et cetera. But I know what's going to happen. I know in a month's time, unless something tremendous happens, I'm going to lose three or four tenants on that property plus two classrooms. So what is your big problem this morning, Paul? <laughs> What problem is too big for God to resolve? Amen? What, what, what is it? What, what has taken God by surprise? What lesson is there here for me? Well, I know what lesson there is here for me. My God is all-powerful. Catch a wake-up. Why bother cutting your weekend short just so that you can come and check things for yourself because somehow you feel like you can control it? Pathetic. God is all-powerful. He's not only all-knowing, he's all-powerful. Just by the way, if you've got any contacts, let me know. God can do that. Watching me by, by online, God can do that. I'll tell you something that happened to my wife this last week. She and some of her colleagues went to do something they had to do with one of our municipal departments. And as they got there at 12 o'clock, the person shut down the computer in front of them and told them the machine is broken. I must, they must go to another office. So they went all the way to another office and there they met the supervisor who told them, come with me, took them back to that same office switched on that same computer and did what had to be done. And in explanation, he said, you know what it's like, it's Friday, they go home early. Paid until four o'clock, but unable to help anybody from 12 o'clock. God's got some big problems to sort out, but I believe he can do it. Amen? <laughs> I believe I'm not sitting for this stuff anymore. I'm not standing back anymore for this stuff. I'm standing up, doing what is right. Why do we have to put up with, ins, with inferior services? Why do we have to put up for this? Why do we have to beg the municipality to be able to pay our accounts? And then they still, you know when last the meter reading was taken on that property? 9th of June, 2021, nine months ago. Nine months, somebody has been paid to come and take the reading every month, and they haven't been near the place. Those people need to be fired. 
Don't get me started on Amatola District Municipality. I'm telling you what, I remember, I don't remember much of what I preach. Most of the sermons I preach go over my head, you know. That's what happens. But I remember a sermon I preached about 20 years ago on striking. And I remember going to that Genesis passage where where God had put man in the garden and commanded him to work. And I remember relating our determination to go on strike as being a direct fist in the face of God, refusing to work when God had put us here to work. Amen? And it's just getting worse and worse and worse. It's only March. Strike in a month or two's time. Never heard of anything so ridiculous in my entire life. <laughs> Nothing to do with what I'm talking about now. God is omnipotent. We can trust him. He's all powerful. Psalm 34 verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. I believe that. Saw an image somebody sent me this morning of a missile a day ago. Land came through a person's house in the Ukraine landed in the kitchen. There's a, an image, I should have put it up for you, an image of this missile in a person's kitchen and eight, the family of eight were next door in the lounge involved in their daily prayer meeting. This missile landed through the roof into the kitchen and exploded. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Psalm 27 verse 3, the psalmist says, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear Though war breaks out against me, even then will I be confident. It was no big deal for God to strike all these men blind. If you're a Hebrew scholar, you will know that this word for blind only appears in three places. These two, this verse here, and then once in Genesis 19, uh, with the account of the, uh, those men, those wicked Sodomites trying to get into Lot's house to get the men that he had um, sanctioned or uh, he had, what do you call them? Kept safe in his house. And remember the Lord struck them with blindness. It's the same blindness. It's got to do with a dazzling bright light. So bright that they actually can't see. So he strikes these people with sudden blindness in response to Elisha's simple prayer. Friends, there is no man or nation so powerful, but that God cannot easily bring him or it to nothing. That includes our, our incompetence in the municipalities. It includes, and there are lots who work very hard in municipality. I'm not saying everybody's incompetent. There are lots of people who try very hard. But it includes those who we think will never leave government, never leave politics. It includes those people. God is able to do no matter how big it is to us. Jeremiah 32 reminds us, Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Didn't make the heavens and an earth by a natural process of evolution. He made the heavens and the earth by his great power and his outstretched arm. If you want to believe in evolution, that's great. You believe in evolution, but don't expect your prayers to be answered in under 30 billion years or however long it takes. 
<laughs> for a thing to evolve. I choose to believe in God having created the heavens and the earth by his great power and his outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Buffalo City Municipality, I've got a message for you. Nothing is too difficult for God. <laughs> Jeremiah 32, 27. I am Yahweh, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? God asks. So lesson number one, our God is the all-sufficient one, the all-knowing one, the all-powerful one. What's your problem this morning? Second thought I have that I learned from this passage is that peace, not panic, it's possible through prayer. For us, for me, normally, very often the other way around. Something goes wrong, I want to panic. As opposed to resting myself in his peace, knowing that it's completely possible. Prayer is our means, you see, of access to our all-sufficient Savior. Paul wrote from prison, from prison, from prison. Paul wrote from prison, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, because he knew he's all-powerful, all-knowing God. He knew him. Present your requests to God. Let's face it, major trials can hit so suddenly. Elisha's servant went to bed peacefully that night. And he didn't, in his wildest dreams, believe he was going to wake up the next morning and find the city surrounded with enemy agents. I mean, who would have predicted for us COVID-19? Who could have predicted our lives would be so thrown apart? Who could have predicted some of you lost your jobs? Maybe haven't even started working yet. Who could have predicted our relations could, relationships could have been broken like they have been broken? Certainly not one, not a single modern-day charismatic prophet. You will not find one prophet in Christianity that predicted COVID. And if that doesn't tell you not to listen to them, I don't know what's going to tell you not to listen to them. Life is fragile. We don't know what's coming next. We don't know what's going to happen before we leave this building or after we leave this building. That's why it's foolish for us to live for this life only as if there were no eternity. Surely the uncertainty of life should make us live every day in dependence on God. Elisha's servant woke up to a new reality. And the lesson we have to learn is that prayer must replace panic. There's an obvious contrast between the panic of Elisha's servant and the peace we see in Elisha. What does Elisha do? He's obviously clearly, clearly in constant communion with God. He just prays a prayer. Elisha's servant seems to be focused on Elisha. What are we going to do? Elisha's focused on God. How do we match up? I mean, are we Elisha's servant? Are we Elisha when problems come? I mean, God may or may not grant us miraculous insight and power as he did with Elisha, but if we are the people of prayer and commune with God through his word, we will have unusual wisdom for dealing with trials when they hit. I mean, the Bible promises us in James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God 
who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. I think before we even get to this place, we need to be warned from passages like Proverbs 1, 20 to 33, which tells us that if we neglect to get wisdom before trouble comes, we're not going to have it when trouble actually comes. And then the fact that we've actually got to act on what we know, or it won't be any good. Elisha warned the Israelite king of where the Arameans would attack. If the king hadn't followed that warning or listened, wouldn't have helped him. God's word warns us of where our enemy will strike. It warns us of the consequences of sin. But those warnings are worth nothing unless we heed them, unless we obey them. It's like the many warnings we hear about the dangers of smoking, the dangers of eating too much processed food or sugar, maybe the dangers of not buckling our seatbelts. These warnings will only help if we follow them. We learn the warnings of God's word and obey them, communing daily with them through prayer. Then we're going to have that wisdom that we need when those times of trials come and panic gets replaced with his peace. See, prayer opens our eyes to spiritual reality. Most of us determine our reality by our physical senses. If we can see it, if we can feel it, if we can hear it, if we can taste it or touch it, it must be real. I'm sure that for Elisha's servant, reality was thousands of soldiers he saw mounted on powerful war horses. I mean, they could have wiped the city out before nightfall. But for Elisha, that wasn't reality. For him, reality was even greater and more powerful than physical armies that he could see. There were angels all along, unseen angels. The problem was Elisha's servant didn't have eyes to see them, but his not seeing them didn't make them not there. Because we don't see God working doesn't mean he's not. We don't see there's these things happening when we want them to happen. doesn't mean they're not happening. God is busy working behind the scene. See, spiritual reality is actually the ultimate reality, superseding the reality of what we perceive just with our physical senses. And prayer opens our eyes to that spiritual reality and links us with God's winning majority. Prayer makes possible what is humanly impossible. What is humanly impossible for you this morning? What situation are you facing that you feel it's just not going to happen? Now, opening the servant's eyes to see the angels and closing and later reopening the soldier's eyes were humanly impossible feats. I mean, that didn't make any sense. Elisha's prayer was not for his servant to do what he already could do or to use some ability he already possessed. He wasn't saying, okay, Elisha, you know, this is, I mean, servant, you can do this. He's, he's offering him something far bigger, a God who is omnipotent, a God who is all-powerful, a God who is working behind the scenes, the unseen one. Does God not say in his word, whoever comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So often when we pray, we forget we are asking God to do the humanly impossible. 
It's called a miracle. You can pray for miracles. For example, when we pray for the salvation of another person, we're not asking God just to help them out a little bit. We are asking God to do what is humanly impossible for anyone to do. Every lost person is spiritually blind, and only God can open blind eyes. We may realize this when we're praying for someone who perhaps has big problems. You know, he's an alcoholic. It would take a miracle to save him. It takes a miracle to save the good moral person who goes to church every week as well. It takes a miracle. God must open blind eyes to bring sinners to himself. Maybe you're struggling with a, with a family problem this morning. Maybe you've got a child who's gone off the rails or a parent who won't listen to the gospel. Pray that God would open their eyes. Pray the prayer of Elisha. Open these blinded eyes. Let them perceive, let them see what's actually going on. These Aramean soldiers had an easy job. They were confident. Take a single unarmed man captive. No problem. We can do it. But through Elisha's one sentence prayer, these proud men were humbled into groping after the prophet completely at his mercy. Then their eyes were opened in response to Elisha's next one sentence prayer. They realized they were in big trouble. Friends, peace, not panic, is possible through prayer. I want to encourage you this morning. Don't give up praying. If it's humanly impossible, wonderful. Here's a job for God. And I still believe in a God who works miracles. Amen? Last little message, lesson this morning. God's ways are always right. When the Syrian army came down against Elisha, the surprising thing is that God's army of horses and chariots of fire were not used to defeat the Syrians. Isn't that strange? So there were far more of God's army there than the Syrian army, but they're not used to defeat the Syrian army. Elisha prays another prayer. Lord, blind them. <laughs> How many of you ever prayed a, prayed a Lord blind them? I've been through a few roadblocks in my life that I've prayed, Lord blind them. <laughs> and I'm still, yeah, it's a miracle. <laughs> yeah. Though this young man's eyes had just been opened, Elisha asked the Lord to strike the Syrian army with blindness. In an instant, they're blind and they're helpless. Elisha doesn't say, Lord, use your armies to attack that army and kill them and da 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 like we sometimes want to prescribe prayers to the Lord. Lord, this is what I want you to do, and this is how you must do it. No, Elisha just says, Lord, blind those people too. Then Elisha leads the army right into the midst of Samaria before Israel's king, prays that their eyes are open and they open. You just imagine the, power, the panic amongst the Syrian army when they opened their eyes. King wants to kill them, the king of Israel. He wants to kill them. He wants to punish them. He wants to do them out. I mean, after all, they were there to injure them, so now he's going to injure them. God's ways are so different most often. Instead, the king of Israel prepares a great feast and sends them on their way. The result is instant. They stopped raiding Israel territory. See, God's ways may seem strange for us, but they're always right. Since our enemies are known and outnumbered by God, we do not need to exact vengeance 
upon them. God is all wise, he's all knowing, and he's all powerful. Let's be careful of not trying to become vengeful. Paul writes in Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Can I read that again? Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Somebody done something evil to you? Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Then he says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What a better demonstration can we find in the Bible than Elisha and that army that he led into the midst of those that they were trying to overcome. It just seems so not right. When someone harms us, we want justice. They must hurt us. They must, they must hurt for hurting us. But Paul teaches, do not be overcome by evil. See, we are a danger of becoming exactly like our enemies by repaying evil with evil. When we want to, them to hurt because they've hurt us, we are no better than they ever were. God's followers are called to overcome enemies by showing them love. As Israel did, we are called to feed them. Think about it. What good ever comes from exacting vengeance? Has physically or verbally punishing your enemy ever caused you peace? Somebody who strikes you on the cheek, if you strike them, you might feel good, but you're going to be left with a sore hand afterwards. We just end up being consumed by the desire, our desire for vengeance. And Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies. Paul tells us to feed them when they're hungry. And we can display this love to our enemies just like Christ did with us. See, friends, God's ways are always right, even when they seem wrong to us. Just imagine that army. Imagine the Israelite army. What is the king doing? We must slaughter these people. Instead, he calls for a great feast, feeds them up, and sends them on their way. Three lessons for us this morning. Number one, God is all-sufficient, all-knowing, all-powerful. What's your problem? If he's all-wise, if he knows everything, if he's all-powerful, what's your problem? Peace, not panic, is possible through prayer. Prayer opens our eyes to that spiritual reality, allowing us to see the impossible becoming possible. What is your impossible this morning? 
What is, what is facing you that you just think, this is impossible? When God says, hey, excuse me, I made the heavens and the earth. What, what is your problem? What is too difficult for you that you think is too difficult? That's, an, 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 that's a, 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 such an obvious, stupid um, ploy of the enemy to get us to think that God's not able to do what God is able to do. How is even God going to do this? It's impossible. How can God change their minds? It's impossible. Huh. Just go and look at a flower or pick up a blade of grass or if we can find something to remind yourself what God has made, what God is able to do. The last little thought was that God's ways are always correct. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. To us, I want vengeance, you know. I want to get them. God says, love them and feed them in his name.